Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my are my friends Hayden and Savannah Paul. They're a married couple. Um, Hayden was on episode 528 talking about his 328. Own, oh, 328. We're not up to the 500s. <laughs> 328 talking about his journey with pornography. And he's had so many people reach out to him, and I've had people reach out to him, and we wanted to bring his wife on the podcast to talk to women in particular how to navigate this um, with a spouse that has a current or a prior pornography challenge. And even though Savannah's female, um, and talking in general to females, it may be reversed. You, you know, there may be a marriage where a, a wonderful woman is working through pornography and her husband is not, has, does not have that part of her journey. So Savannah may have things that are helpful for the spouse that's supporting a spouse with either a prior or a current pornography challenge. Um, so many people have listened to that podcast. Uh, just on SoundCloud alone, 328 has 6,189 listens as of today recording. So as this couple knows, there's a lot of people looking for the content and the hope and healing and perspective that they offer. As they walked up to my home this morning, we're recording this on a Saturday morning, they're just holding hands and they're holding hands right now across the table. And this is just a wonderful couple. They're not perfect, <laughs> um, but they're a wonderful couple. And I think you'll enjoy their podcast. They're both return missionaries. Savannah's um, completing her um, nursing undergraduate at BYU, graduate in April of 2020. 21. 2021. <laughs> and Hayden is a Marine. He works for OUR and grew up in Salt Lake City. Savannah grew up in Illinois. Is that okay for an introduction? Yeah, no, yeah, I think that's perfect. good. So I'll just kind of turn it over to the two of you. Um, maybe just you um, talking about, I'd like you just to talk about the questions you're receiving and the, and the answers you're giving people. Okay. Well, it's been, it's been overwhelming. I mean, I was telling you this earlier before the podcast, for me, I've been so open with this for so long that I, I forgot that it's still a taboo subject. Um, the problem with pornography and, you know, there's been a lot of guys that have reached out to me and said, I thought I was alone in this. And we've had dozens of people reach out and ask questions, questions like, I'm dating a girl and I don't know how to bring this up and I'm scared that she's going to not want to date me if I bring this up that I've struggled with in the past or that I'm currently struggling with it. Um, and it's, it's very prevalent in our culture and it's a problem that's, it's driving a wedge. It's a wedge between people, um, that are in relationships, whether you're married or whether you're dating. And unless the wedge is addressed and pulled out, um, then it will eventually leave in breakups and divorces. I've also had a handful of women reach out to me since Hayden was on the last podcast. And I feel like kind of a common theme in these women's minds is I'm so alone in this. And I've never been taught how to deal with this. I've been taught to stay away from people who have addictions. I've been taught not to marry somebody who has struggled with pornography, which I think is kind of something that a lot of us have experienced, which isn't necessarily right, right? And so um, I hope today to share some of my experiences and mostly bring light to this subject and start a conversation 
so that women know you're not alone. Your spouse is not the only one who struggles. Your boyfriend is not the only one who struggles. You're not the only one having to make a decision. How do I respond to this trial in my life? How do I support this person that I love? And how do I navigate this affecting my own personal life as well? Mm -hmm. Uh, Talk about um, just when this first came up in your own relationship. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I shared a little bit. We, and I'll tell, I'll tell my kind of perspective and then Savannah can share hers, but I, you know, I'd been working on this for a while before I, I met Savannah and I had made strides, but I still was not perfect when we started dating. Um, and I mean, my, my mess ups were, you know, months between, um, but they were still there and it still was something that I hadn't completely felt like I kicked. And when we were about three, I think three or four dates in, um, there was something that she was like, Hey, do you want to do something on Thursday night? And I said, Oh, I can't on Thursday night, Thursday night, I go to these healing and recovery meetings and I'm going with a friend who, who's struggling with pornography. And I've been going to these meetings for a while. And, and I ended up just telling her kind of my whole experience with that. And by that point, I wasn't nervous about it because I was on the path to recovery. Like I knew I'd already seen the light at the end of the tunnel and I knew it was there and I knew I was stepping into it. I had no other, there was no other path I was going down. I was on that path and I was not going to stop until I stepped through that light. And although I wasn't perfect yet, I, I felt comfortable coming to her because I was working on it actively. And I knew, I knew the end result was, was freedom from pornography. And so we had that conversation and she was very understanding. I don't know. I don't think she's ever had, ever had anyone prior talk about it like that. And I think because I did, because I think a lot of girls and like her friends talk about this, how they all suspect it. They, women suspect, oh, he probably has some problem with pornography. And so when you're open and honest about it, then there doesn't have to be a question anymore. And it built, I think it builds trust within our relationship very early. I agree. I was really impressed with Hayden when he did just openly tell me, um, you're right. I had, you know, girlfriends and I would talk about, oh, I'm dating this new guy. When do you think it's okay to ask, do you struggle with pornography or have you ever struggled with pornography? Because it is something that we think about and it's something that affects us. But I didn't, I didn't have to do that with Hayden. He just brought it up to me. Um, and yeah, in the past I had dated other guys who I know struggled with it, but they were not as open with me and it affected our relationship in really negative ways. And so up until that point, I, I didn't know how I would react. I didn't know what I even thought about it. And the most important thing to me in that moment, when he was talking to me about it was number one, I'm so glad that he's being honest. And number two, I can see that he's obviously working towards fixing it. I could see that he was actively repenting. And so that made me less like, you know, my original thought that I'd been taught my whole life was, oh, this is a scary thing. I didn't really feel that as much because I was like, oh, this guy knows how to use the atonement, you know? So it wasn't a scary thing. It wasn't something that I had to run away from. When in the relationship were you, when Savannah, when Hayden told you this, were you engaged, just casually dating? And do you have any advice for women for this to for them either to proactively 
um, ask this or advice to men on when to bring this up to who they're dating? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the first time Hayden brought it up to me ever was within just a few dates. So we were officially boyfriend and girlfriend, but we weren't engaged yet. Um, and I think as far as like women approaching your boyfriend or vice versa, if it's, you know, the opposite problem. Um, I don't know if there's like a set time that's good for everybody. I think once you have a relationship of trust and a relationship of open communication, um, be prayerful about it. Heavenly Father knows your relationship the best. And obviously this is a conversation that needs to happen and he wants it to happen. It, it's helpful on both sides to just be open about it and to have that mutual support together. And so I think as far as timing goes, the Lord will tell you mm-hmm. and he'll help you. Yeah. And I think it, it is really important to understand uh, where, where you are in your personal process as well as where is your relationship stand. And, you know, if you feel like you have, like the relationship is going somewhere and you want it to go somewhere, it's just a matter of time. You have to, you have to tell about this because it's so, it's so important and it could end up playing a very, I mean, it could play if it's not taken care of a deadly role in your relationship later. And the way I look at it is you have to be giving, (laughs) you have to be giving the enemy's position. You have to be, if you're, if you're, if you're deciding you're going to have this person be your partner, um, and this is the Marine talking to me, you know, if you have a partner in this, in the mission of life, you want to constantly be communicating the enemy's position. And if she doesn't know that this is an enemy in your life, when she's coming into your life, it's now an enemy in her life as well, because it's going to affect her. So there needs to be that communication. And as soon as possible, um, now I'm not going to give a blanket like, oh, after this many dates or whatever, but you know when you need to, and don't let fear uh, be the, the obstacle from uh, letting you do that. Last time Hayden was on this podcast, he mentioned how some people wait a long time to get the Lord involved because they're kind of embarrassed, right? And I think one of the most important things to remember is that telling the Lord then brings this divine power into your life, right? Why would you wait to bring that into your life? And I think on kind of a different scale, telling someone that you want to spend your life with, that you struggle with pornography, is going to then invite another source of someone praying for you, someone fasting for you, someone wanting you to become better and Mm -hmm. being that support person for you. And so I think in, you know, a lot of cases, the longer you wait, the longer you're just going to be prolonging this source of strength and this source of help that could be really divine and really connecting. And if you are married, she's going to find out. And it's going to be really bad if she finds out. If you come to her, that, it, that shows it, it creates a whole different environment. It shows that you're repentant, that you want to change. Now, there has to be understanding on the, on the sister's side as well, on the women's side, that if a man comes to you and he struggles with it, that is hopeful. That is good. If he didn't, if he wasn't coming to you, that means, that means he's continually lying. And so if, if your husband or if your spouse, if it's a woman, if your spouse comes to you with this problem, that should not bring you into despair. It should be, it should actually be uplifting in your relationship. Now, the problem isn't good, but it shows that your spouse is actively repenting. 
he or she wants to be better and that they trust you and your relationship is good enough where they're willing to share this dark part about themselves that they don't like. And obviously they don't like it or else they wouldn't be sharing it with you. And that mutual understanding and compassion and trust has to be there or else, you know, the spouse who is not addicted to pornography or struggle with it because not everyone's addicted, they will find out and it's going to be really bad and they're going to feel betrayed. And so for you brothers or sisters that are listening right now that are wondering, should I disclose this to my spouse? The answer is yes. You have no better plan of action. You've gone down a road where you have really two outs at this point. Have your wife find out or your husband find out and have it fill them with, with feelings of betrayal or you bring it to them. And they're still going to feel sad because you've been struggling with it for so long. They love you and they know that it's probably brought a wedge into your relationship. But they will at least know that you are trying to change and that you don't want to lie anymore. Talk about this term betrayal trauma that I've heard about. Do either of you are familiar with that term? It's sort of that, um, and maybe I'll just talk about it, just um, the idea that like a, particularly in a married couple that's been ma- married maybe 10 or 20 years and this has been going on. And to your point, Hayden, the spouse has the guts to sort of talk about this in the spirit of wanting to solve it and wanting to bring the relationship together. But betrayal trauma, from what I understand, is just, the awareness that the spouse then has that there's been this betrayal. It's not an adultery type of betrayal, but it's a betrayal. And so I think in the spirit of what you're suggesting, I think there's a recognition that the spouse may feel this, this type of trauma, mm-hmm. um, especially if it's something that's gone on for a long time and hasn't been disclosed until much later. For sure. And so I, you know, I think it's just, I think you both, are walking, I think we're all three of us now are talking to couples that have been married for a long time, that this comes out later. Mm-hmm. I think it's the beginning of healing, but it could be pretty choppy. It could be choppy for a period of time mm-hmm. um, because there may be real feelings of betrayal and some, and some trauma that's not necessarily, it's just the reality of what's happened. And I would encourage you not to make any fast decisions in that moment and mm-hmm. to be really thoughtful and say, and, and go to, what are your common goals as a couple? Is it to stay together? And is it to, is it to raise your family and be committed to each other? If there's common goals there, then, you know, hold on to those common goals as you work through this period of time that actually, I think, would get you in a better spot than your marriage has ever been. The couples that I've talked mm-hmm. to about these sort of situations, often it gets them in a place that was not possible if they, the spouse hadn't had the guts to talk about it in the first place. Any thoughts from either of you on that? Yeah, I'll just add, I think the word trauma is correct to use because I think that it can kind of have a long lasting effect. And I think that no couple should have to go through that by themselves. Um, I have been to therapy in the past and it wasn't for this reason, but I felt like a trained professional was able to help me change the way that I thought so much better than I would on my own. Even as I was praying, even as I was asking Heavenly Father, like, how can I think about this differently or how can I change myself, you know? Um, But there are a lot of resources out there for couples that I would really encourage, you know, if this is something that you in your marriage are struggling with, um, look for the resources around you and see how many of them you can utilize because 
there is a lot more help than I think we realize. For sure. And I think, is it okay to feel betrayed in that situation? I think it's okay to feel that way. I think it's okay to, to wonder, you know, where, where does my relationship stand right now? Because it really, I mean, with a secret like that and it, it being brought to light, it can really, it can make you question a lot of things. That is okay. And if you are the spouse who has brought up this problem and it's your problem, you have to be okay with them feeling that way. And you have to give them space and, and let them figure it out. You, at that point, have done what you can do. And it's up to the, the spouse on, on the next step, on the next move. But you have to be willing to answer questions, be open, continue to be open. Um, because that, that is how trust is built, right? It's, it's kind of funny, like this idea of entropy where everything is disintegrating and um, where if you're not moving forward, you're moving backward, right? And it's like positive things, good things take time to build. But bad things can happen instantly. Trust can take years to build, but it can be betrayed with, with one revelation, right? Um, but your best path forward is to just continually build that trust, to be honest, to be humble. And that, that's both sides. Both sides need to be humble. Because when a spouse, I mean, you're, you're essentially, when you get married, you become one, right? You're one being. and it takes both sides to be humble, understanding, and loving in that situation. And if they are not, then the, eventually they will be split. And so it's, it's very difficult, but there needs to be understanding on both sides. Now, last podcast, I talked about how um, when Savannah and I were engaged, um, I looked at pornography and... Um, it was not, it was a really scary for me. And I'll just tell my, my side of it. And then I'll let Savannah tell her side of it. <clears throat> but I had just, I'd gone a, a long time without looking at pornography and masturbating. And all of a sudden one day I did. And I was just like, oh my gosh. I, it's just like that feeling. And those of you who have struggled with this understand it. It's just, you can't believe you just, you, you sit there and you're like, I'm so stupid. Why would I do this? Like, I know that I don't want this. Why did I let this into my life? And I knew, and it was just a spiritual prompting that was like, you've, you've made a commitment. You guys aren't married yet, but I'd already decided. Like, we, as far as I was concerned, we were married because I'd already decided I'm going to marry the woman. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we, so I immediately was like, you are now accountable to her, to God first, obviously, then to her, and then to your priesthood leader. So talk to him in that order. So I got on my knees, I prayed to God, and then I FaceTimed her. And I FaceTimed her and I didn't talk about it immediately. I was just like, how was your day? And we had like probably a 25 minute conversation. And then I just wouldn't hang up because I knew I knew that I didn't want to get this off my chest. Like I, I, it was, it was scaring me so bad, but I knew I had to. So I just told myself, I was like, I'm not going to hang up until I say something. And I remember there was like about probably like 45 seconds of silence. And she's like, well, do you have anything else? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, um, and what is it? And I just sat there quiet still. Cause I just couldn't get it out. 
And finally I told her and um, I was, it was scary. I didn't like it. For the first time, you know, I felt like my action directly affected her and it wasn't just me. Um, and so I just knew that I never wanted to look her in the eyes and tell her that again. And even though she was so understanding and loving and she didn't really jump to any conclusions, she was kind of quiet. You know, I think she, she didn't know what to say. And so she was just quiet and she just listened, but I could just feel that she loved me and that she was understanding. And that assured me that what I did was the right thing. And it was a, it was a really good conversation that really strengthened our relationship. And I was grateful that I did it. And it set a foundation where I don't plan on this coming back up in our relationship. But if it does, I know that I can go to her and that I don't have to hide it. And I'm so grateful for that knowledge. And I, I don't plan on ever having to look at her in the eyes and tell her again. Um, but I'm grateful that when I did, um, she reacted well and she was able to just love me despite the mistake that I made. And she saw it for what it was, a mistake. Go yeah. ahead, Savannah. <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, Hayden talked about the experience, right? And I could tell that he was really nervous to talk to me about it. I could tell that it was something that, um, that was weighing on him. Um, again, we were engaged at this point. So Hayden had probably gone. I don't even remember how many months, how many months had it been since you'd last struggled with it? I don't know. It was a, it was a long time. Yeah. I don't know the exact number. So the problem itself hadn't come up in our relationship yet. Um, I remember thinking to myself, um, immediately I just thought I need to talk to heavenly father about this because I, we were engaged. I was head over heels in love with Hayden. And I was worried that my love for Hayden was going to blind my decision that I made with how I was going to respond to this. And I, just a little backstory. So I dated a guy a long time ago who I didn't know for most of the relationship that he struggled with pornography. Um, as the relationship was ending, I found out and it kind of explained a lot of his behavior that was really, um, it was pretty inappropriate for a relationship. And I was always the kind of person who would notice that something was weird and would notice that he was not treating me very well. And we would bring it up and I would just, I would forgive him. And I would say, it's okay. I forgive you. It's all right. Don't worry about it. And over time that eventually led to me becoming way more hurt than I would have been if I had just ended the relationship. And so I had this benefit of the doubt mentality that I wanted to help this guy. I wanted to you know, help him be better than he was. And I didn't know what the root problem was, but it kind of backfired. Right. And so I think I was afraid to do that again with Hayden, just in case this is going to be, you know, an unhealthy relationship like this last one was. And so that was a thought that I had running through my head and I didn't know, should I, should I stay with Hayden? Should I try and be that support for him? Should I love him, forgive him and move forward? Or should I let this be something that ends our relationship? And I was so new with all of this that I just didn't know. I had no background. I didn't really have a lot of people to talk to about it, at least so I thought. 
And um, so Hayden told me, we talked about it, we hung up and I got on my knees and I said, Heavenly Father, you know his heart, you know my role in this and what I need to do to help him and also to um, take care of myself, whatever that means. And I said, Heavenly Father, I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I want to forgive him and support him and move forward. But I'm afraid because I don't want this to backfire on me again. I don't want to be the one who is being hurt over and over by something like this. And I had the distinct impression that that gift that I had to forgive and move forward was something that the Lord needed me to use in this, in this situation to love and support his son. And that it was no longer something that I had to be afraid of or that I had to, you know, watch out for, but that if I would forgive him, love him, support him, move forward and use that gift that God had given me to be able to do that, that it was going to make our relationship better and that it would help us to be stronger as a couple. And so um, other thoughts that I had during that time were, um, you know, I think a lot of women kind of think to themselves, oh, if my boyfriend or if my husband struggles with this, maybe this means that I'm not good enough or that I'm not beautiful enough or that I'm not attractive enough. And so he needs to find that somewhere else. Right. And I've heard that a lot from other women throughout this time since Hayden was on the podcast. Um, I, I would like to just say it is completely untrue and it's hard for us to think that it's hard for us to believe that because I mean, I had those thoughts. I had to pray really hard about those thoughts. I had to talk to Hayden about those thoughts and say, you know, this is how this is affecting me. And babe, if you just want to take a second and talk about kind of the difference between like sexuality and pornography and like healthy sexuality in marriage, I know you've kind of mm -hmm. talked to me about how different they are. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't, I mean, I had like an inkling that there was a huge, uh, you know, a huge gap between like, actual sexual intimacy and, and what you get from pornography. But until I got married, you know, you don't really understand that. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of people think that, you know, if I only get married and then I can have sex, then that's going to solve this problem. But, but it doesn't because they're, they're, they're completely different. They're, they're disconnected. And what happens a lot of times is like, for example, I mean, I, I've talked to guys where, pornography came to their lives when they're eight years old. Right. And that's even before you really like, you're not even starting to become sexually mature at that point. Right. But there's still something that draws you in and it becomes, it sets a foundation for a really bad habit slash addiction later on. And it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with sex. If you look at the science of what pornography does to your brain, it's very similar to what you know, uh, a, another drug like cocaine or something would do to your brain where what happens is by watching this, it releases so much dopamine into your brain. And <clears throat> the thing that's crazy about your body is, you know, it has different, um, I don't know, like standard operating procedures on what, it, what happens when things like that happen, like when you get a rush of dopamine. So for example, if you have too much sugar in your body, what does your body do? It gives, it has insulin, right? And which kind of balances it out. And that's why people that bodies can't regulate that, they can't create insulin. It can be very dangerous. 
Um, now with dopamine, there isn't a sort of insulin, insulin type thing. And so what happens is your body actually stops creating so much dopamine. And that's why you actually need more and more and more and more. And that's why like other things in your life that used to bring you joy, don't bring you joy anymore. And it's because pornography gives you so much dopamine and gives you that rush. But then your body's like, oh, that's too much. I need to dial it down in your everyday life. And that's why you can get into more extreme forms of pornography and why you can, it can just really grab a hold of you is because, and it's, it's a physiological thing. It's, it, 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 at that point, it's not just about your moral agency. It's, it's your body kind of craves it in a sense at, in varying degrees, right? And so when you have actual, you know, it, there's a difference when you have actual, you know, healthy sexual intimacy it fulfills you and it like it's different it doesn't it doesn't make you have to crave more you feel fulfilled after that where with pornography it's like okay that was it but i'm going to have to come back as soon as possible because i'm not fulfilled with that and it's just it's it's very important for the, for women to know this as well or for for the spouse of someone struggling because it's not about them it's not about that it's it's a separate thing that is calling the attention of their spouse. And it, it will affect their sex life because there are, there are certain elements of it, obviously, that are related. But it's not the fact that they're not attractive enough or that they aren't you know, satisfying enough to their partner sexually. Uh, it, it, a lot of it is just it's separate. And if a spouse can understand that, then some of that, you know, that guilt... Um, you know, there's the betrayal trauma, but then there's the also like, oh, it's my fault that he's doing this or Good. she's doing this. And that can almost those. be just, just as, if not more destructive to your own personal well-being. It's a really good segment. You two are real vulnerable. There's a lot of listeners that are just kind of like saying, I wish I could like give these two a big hug and, and just thank them for being so honest and vulnerable and using accurate vocabulary. And um, I think there's a, level of shame that decreases when you're just transparent. Mm -hmm. Savannah, talk about, because um, I've had, you know, several calls like you have, Hayden, we've kind of tr traded emails on some of these, but um, one of the consistent calls I get from unmarried men um, is I've just talked to my girlfriend about this and I'm probably not where Hayden is in the sense I'm kind of mostly recovered or fully recovered. It's still happening once a week and I'm not sure that I can just look her in the eye and say, it's not going to continue to happen. Um, it may continue to happen once a month, once a week. And I, I would love it not. And what would you say, and they come out to their girlfriend and they're just not quite in as good a spot as Hayden is. Um, what, what do you say? I love your answer with Hayden, by the way, is I just went to heavenly father and got personal revelation. Cause I think that is the source. You can talk to a lot of friends and people and listen to podcasts and, I think that can be helpful, but I think at the end of the day, personal revelation, but just talk to women that are in that spot and that their boyfriend may have actually sent them this podcast. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the most helpful things for women, and this is obviously from my own limited experience, I think one of the most helpful things for me was to recognize that I had almost a divine role to play in Hayden's recovery. And just in being a support person for him. 
And so when I realized that the Lord was using me for something really good and really, um, I mean, almost like a light, you know, a light in Hayden's life to pray for him, to love him, to support him, to be open with him, for him to be open with me, um, that brings a spirit into the relationship. That brings a a sense of duty almost, well, not duty, but a sense of like, I'm doing something good that is fulfilling, that is um, serving this person that I love so much. And I think that's one of the most, I mean, one of the most helpful things for me was just realizing I had a role to play and I could communicate with Heavenly Father. I could get this instruction from Him. I could receive the peace from Him because the peace often won't, you know, it's not going to come from something else. It's not going to come from, um, you know, talking with, I don't know. Well, we can take that part out of the podcast. <laughs> the peace will come from God. Um, that's probably the biggest piece of advice I would give. What would you tell her? Would you tell her to end the relationship? Would you tell her not to end the relationship? Would there be an amount of pornography that you'd say, that's enough? If he's looking at it every day, I'd end the relationship. Any thoughts on that? Um, one question I've gotten a couple times from other women right now is, um, you know, in deciding to get married or in deciding to continue my marriage, like, how did you know that you should marry Hayden anyway? Or how did you know, you know, what, what's kind of the limit, right? When do I say this is okay? And when do I say I'm done? And I don't know if there's a specific point in time or a specific number of mess ups that you get through before you say I'm done. Right. But I thought that the most important thing in my husband was the fact that he was constantly repenting. Mm -hmm. I think that people who turn to the Lord every time they make a mistake are going to make great husbands and fathers because they understand the atonement of Jesus Christ. And that's what I saw in Hayden. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I had the thought when we were engaged, this is probably going to come up again this is probably going to be something that I have to deal with again in my life. And what am I going to do about it? Right. And that was the conclusion I came to is that I want my children to have a father who can testify of the cleansing power of Jesus Christ and somebody who will, I mean, get knocked down. Right. And then get back up again and not be defeated by the mistakes that he's made, but learn from them and move forward and just, keep trying to be better than he is. Mm-hmm. Oh, you go ahead. Hayden. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, to piggyback off what, what she's saying that she's played a huge role, I think for sure. in in me feeling like I've, I've stepped to that final stage of recovery, right. Um, that, that the final step of, of the 12 step program is having had an awakening by through the atonement of Jesus Christ, share this message and practice it in all you do. I feel like that's where I'm at right now. Um, and I feel like she played a huge role in that. And, and, but I, I will emphasize that that's unique to our relationship, right? Now, the role that, that Savannah played in mine might not be the role that someone else is supposed to play in someone, in someone else's. And that's why it's so important to go to the Lord. And I think Savannah is such a good example of that. Of she understands that the Lord knows my heart. He knows my future. And if she's planning on hooking her future with mine, he's going to help her with, with understanding if that's the right route to go, right? Because 
I see a mistake happen and uh, a few of, of a few people I know have, have had this happen in their life where they're okay. All right, I'm going to help you through this. We're going to get through this together. And then what happens is they take that burden so much on themselves that it ends up crushing them. That it's like, oh, I want to make him, I want to help him get better. And I'm understanding, but then the weight of that sin ends up crushing them. And so there are certain boundaries that need to be played depending on the situation, right? And I'll just give an example. For example, if you, if it's happening often enough, you know, every week, once a month, whatever, then your spouse probably shouldn't be that accountability partner that you go to every single time you mess up because that can just be completely demoralizing for her and for you. So it's good to have a third party involved in, in those sort of situations. Now, that doesn't mean that the spouse can't come in every once in a while and just say, hey, how, how, how have things been going? And you have to be 100% honest with them then. But I do not think it's a smart idea for someone so intimate as a spouse to be involved in the nitty gritty day to day, week to week process of overcoming this. Because depending where you're at in your recovery, I mean, you, it might be years before you're, you're completely done with this. And that can be the stress of that on your spouse, especially if they don't understand exactly because they've never experienced it, can just be too much. And it could, it could end up in, in the same result as if you weren't doing anything about it at all. And so that's all I'll say is that do exactly what Savannah did. Go to the Lord and act on your impressions. And if your spouse is repentant and, and the Lord tells you kind of that their heart is, is that of resilient and, and, you know, and repentant, then I, I don't see any reason why you should, you know, split up in any way. But that the role that you play in the recovery is going to be unique to your situation. I love that. And I, I love the way you did some, both of you did some wonderful things there. And I, um, we can't be each other's saviors. Mm-mm. Um, I think some want to do that for their spouse when they, whatever the situation is, but I think we have to let the savior be the savior and we be the spouse. Mm-hmm. And the way you just define that is really unique to each relationship. And I love the, and I love the personal revelation that you teach. And I love just the role. I've always felt like it can be destructive to relationship if the spouse is the person that's accountable mm-hmm. because it just overdefines the relationship. And you just start to see each other by this issue, mm-hmm. which is just one of many ways of seeing each other. And some are areas to work on like this, obviously, and other areas where there's just wonderful things Mm-hmm. That, and if you focus just on that area that rightly so needs to be solved, you forget the beauty of the totality of your relationship and all the yeah, good things. And so I do love that. And um, you, you maybe you're probably the accountability partner for people right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm the accountability yeah. partner and I'm glad playing that role and you're glad doing that role. And, and I think what you teach as a spouse needs to know what's going on and the general trend here and what's going on. Um, so I like that. Um, I like that you said some really good things about Hayden, um, just that while you would never wish that Hayden had gone on this road, and you would probably, in many ways, if you, 
I mean, I guess I'm trying to say that, yeah, you, you would love that Hayden never got into this space, obviously. But the way you frame this up is there were some gifts and Christ-like attributes and understanding the atonement and vulnerability and communication. And there's a bunch of things that came into Hayden's life because he's worked through this that I think you're saying caused you to fall in love with him more, made him safe for you, and recognize just these gifts will help your marriage and him as a father down the road. Just is I don't want to put words in your mouth, Savannah, but how do, is that? Just share some thoughts on that. No, I could say amen to everything you just said. I think that there are certain attributes and things that we need to learn throughout our lives that we can learn in a lot of ways. I think that Hayden has learned a lot of them through this really long, hard struggle with pornography. Um, I obviously am very imperfect. And while I've never struggled with pornography, I sin, I struggle with other things. And I'm really not afraid to talk to Hayden about I those things. I would figure that Hayden's pretty safe for whatever you yeah. want to talk about. Yeah, he, like, he just gets it. He's one of those guys that just gets it. That's why he's such a strength for other people because he's real and he understands the process of changing and the process of messing up and trying again. And we are expecting a baby next year. And When's I'm your so, baby <laughs> our baby's due in May of 21. May of 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, one of the things that I'm most excited about being married to Hayden is to watch him be a dad and Why? to watch him Why? just teach our children, raise them in this world of, you know, fear and sin. And there's a lot going on in the world right now. And I just feel so blessed to have a partner like Hayden to do it with, to raise our kids with. And um, I think that he will always be able to testify of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And he will always be an example of that because today moving forward, he's not going to be perfect either. But I know him and I know that he is going to do everything that he can to be better than he is every single day. How do you feel if Hayden talks about his own pornography use with your sons or daughters at some point? I hope he does. Why? Why? It, that just almost seems like there's, I mean, I love your answer because it's a de-shaming answer. Mm-hmm. Talk, just share why. I want my husband to talk to my children about his struggle with pornography for a few reasons. Um, one of them is that I know they will encounter pornography throughout their lives. And instead of feeling like their dad's going to get mad at them or that their parents are going to be disappointed in them for seeing this or for maybe taking part in it, they're going to know that their dad understands completely 100% how they feel and how they can try and move forward, how they can overcome it work through it, however much time that takes. Um, I mean, not to, I mean, not to compare my husband to the savior because he's not, <laughs> No, <laughs> but very far. the savior knows how we feel when we do something wrong. He knows how we feel when we're grieving. He knows how we feel when fill in the blank. Right. And my husband will understand this huge, um, addiction or struggle or weakness that I won't be able to understand on quite as a personal level, but he will be able to be that person for them in real life as their dad who can say, I know how you feel. And I, I want him to be that person for them. I want that to be a factor in our marriage and in our family. Yeah. And I think, I mean, to flip it around too, it's like, we're going to have daughters as well. 
And 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 even though I'm not saying that this this like women don't struggle with it, but I mean it is it is more prevalent for men and and women usually are the spouses um, that are trying to navigate this. I mean they're going to be able to turn to their mother as well and be able to ask her thoughts and she'll be able to share her feelings and her insights and that's going to strengthen them and their relationships. And I think it's so important. I mean, when, so when Savannah and I were dating and, you know, I'd been home for my mission for three years, probably at that when we first started dating and a little bit longer, a little bit less, but we, I mean, I had been dating for that long, wanting to get married. And I had a laundry list of attributes that I was looking for. And um, right before I met Savannah, I remember kind of having just like a, I was frustrated with dating. I was like, God, what, what, what do you want me to look for? What am I looking for? And he put me towards my patriarchal blessing. And I'm, I'm willing to share this little part of it. Um, Good. But in my patriarchal blessing, it talks about my spouse and it gives three attributes that my spouse will have. Um, and it's delightful, faithful, and supportive. And God told me, he's like, you don't worry about anything else. You worry about those three attributes. And it was not long after I had that conversation with God that I met Savannah and she just embodies those three attributes. And I think, you know, those are the three attributes that are necessary in overcoming this problem as well. Delightful, faithful, and supportive. You know, that faithful, like that faith of, of praying and, and, you know, being, trying to, you know, use your faith in order to support your spouse. The supportive part, obviously, is just, you know, being understanding, recognizing that um, this imperfection, although different than your imperfections, is still just that, an imperfection. And, and something that the Savior has covered completely. And then that delightful of not being too, and you talked about this earlier, if you make this the focal point of your relationship, then everything can be too serious. Everything can be, it can just be overwhelming. And so to have that kind of, um, you know, lightheartedness without light-mindedness. And there's a difference, right? And I think those, those three attributes have, been, they're obviously exactly what I need because God told me very specifically um, but I think there, there are three attributes to strive for if, if you're just a spouse in general, but especially if you're a spouse that is supporting someone who's struggling with this problem. I love that. Um, you know, men and women that are working on this out there, I just, you've got to feel like your worth is set. Nothing you can do can take you outside your heavenly parents' love and turn to them. Don't wait until you've solved this and turn to them. Don't, I wouldn't even say I'll, I won't, I'm going to solve this and then date because I think you can date with this challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes dating is part, it helps you to feel connection and belonging, which is some of the reasons, but you've just, shame says I am bad versus I did something bad. Mm-hmm. I just sense the way Savannah's talking about Hayden. She just sees him as a son of God. And has always seen him for who he is and recognized this is a sin. This is something that obviously needs to be overcome. But I just sense her, her ability to see Hayden is the son of God that he is. And, the, and same with Hayden for Savannah. And I love that Savannah says, all oh, I want him to talk about this. To me, Satan wants to 
live in our self-loathing and our shame. That's one of his, I think pornography is bad, but I think sometimes the bigger hook Satan has into us is the shame around it. And you don't Mm -hmm. talk about it. And you would never talk to your children about it, your spouse, or if you're a priesthood leader, you've never opened up and maybe in a situation where it was appropriate to open up. And Mm -hmm. I just think that's a tool of Satan to create so much shame around this. But I love the way you're de-shaming this. Now, that doesn't mean you're normalizing pornography is okay. Everybody understands that, but you're de-shaming it, which I think is key to solving it. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to Savannah. When I looked at Hayden's Facebook post that we did after his podcast came out, you shared it. Mm-hmm. Why? I am very proud of my husband for the work that he has put in and for the, um, the efforts that he's made. And I know that his experiences will help so many people. Um, right when we started dating and he started talking about um, his past issue, issue with pornography, I will admit I was a little nervous. Sure. And I thought, well, what is this going to make me look like? What is this going to make our sure. relationship look like? And since then, I really come to understand I want him to talk about this. I want him to help people with this. I think that he has a really successful story of overcoming it that will bring hope into a lot of people's lives. I mean, you have to remember Hayden struggled with pornography for 10 years before he, he beat it. Now it's been almost a year since he's even once touched pornography. Last week, Hayden came to me and said, somebody sent me pornography on Facebook and I just wanted to let you know. And I said, did you open it? Did you look at it? And he said, no. And that's a point that's possible. I want to tell everybody that story because that's a point that you can get to and it will take time and it will be hard. But that's why I want him to talk about it. That's why I want to share his experiences with it because there are so many people who just need to know that they can do that too. I just think that's so cool you shared it. Because it just helped me understand that, yeah, it's not just, Hayden, you can go talk about this. Okay, I'm Mm -hmm. fine. But when you shared his Facebook post about it, it just gave me an added insight into who you are and how you feel about Hayden and your willingness to walk in this, um, walk this road together. Mm -hmm. If Hayden messed up, maybe I've asked this. I can't remember if I have. Um, If I have, you've made me given the answer. Let me know. So let's say Hayden messes up. Mm -hmm. Um, a year or two or three years from now, talk about, and I don't know exactly how you feel, but is it a requirement of your marriage that Hayden never messes up? No, not at all. Um, I think, I mean, last week when Hayden came to me and said, someone sent me this, I, I mentally prepared myself for, I just had a mess up, right? That's what I had to kind of be ready for. Hmm. And I kind of had the thought, I didn't even talk to you about this, babe, but I had the thought like, okay, I'm going to need to run in my room and say a prayer if this is the case and then just get a little bit of direction and kind of think through it and calm down and then we can talk about it. And that's like, that has to be like my first element. My first reaction is go to the Lord. Because like I said, when we got married, I kind of fully expected this is going to come up again. And I sure hope it doesn't, but I think it would be very naive of me to think that pornography will never resurface in our relationship. And I just want every single time to go to the Lord and to receive peace from him 
receive assurance that this is not my fault because that comes from God. Thomas. God can tell me this is not my fault. And I'll believe it when it comes from God, right? God can tell me this is what I need you to do right now. God can tell me this is what Hayden needs right now. And that's, that's what I want to do. Mm. I just want to go to the Lord every time. Yeah, and I, I, you know, to expand a little bit on this experience that we had last week. Um, so after the last podcast, a lot of people added me on Facebook. And so I just got in the habit of just like adding people, even if like I didn't know them. And, you know, it got to like a lot. And someone messaged me and I would get messages on Facebook and people would want to talk to me. And I got this message from this guy and he said, Hey, how are you? I said, I'm good. What's up? And he said, are you alone? And in my mind, I'm like, Oh, he wants to, you know, he wants to like have a conversation with me and he wants to make sure that I'm like free. Right. So I'm like, yes. And then he just starts sending like explicit pornographic images and videos like on that thing. And so immediately I like, I scroll up away from it and I like delete it. Um, and I block him, I report him and I, Good. you know, I, I go through that thing and I sat in my room and, um, I remember, you know, um, a friend of mine who he told me a story about how one time he was going, um, he was going home and there was a guy, he, there's like a trailer in his neighbor's yard and there was a guy looking at pornography in there and he looked over and like saw the, like the video and he turned away and he went inside and he just, he had this feeling like I need to just tell my wife because this image is in my head and I just, in order for me to not dwell on it, I need to de-shame it and I need to just like tell her that I had this experience. And so he told her and it was good. And I just remember thinking like, I could just keep this secret, but why, why would I keep this secret? And so, and this is the way, and this is the Marine in me again. So, um, (laughs) when you, so when you're like, when you have different elements of like, uh, you know, your military unit of a platoon or something out and one element sees the enemy, then you call it in on the radio and you give what's called a salute report. Salute is just an acronym because there's like literally a million acronyms in the military (laughs) for some reason. I know like a quarter, like, like 5% of them. But it stands for you give the size of the enemy, um, the activity of the enemy, the location of the enemy, the uniform of the enemy, the time that you saw the enemy, and the equipment that the enemy has. And that's the salute report. And you do that, that way there can just be good communication and we can know where the enemy is at all times because we're on the same team, right? And you also don't, you don't want them to think that the enemy is you and then they let them in or pass a point and then, you know, there's casualties. And so when I saw this, I knew I had to give my wife a salute report (laughs) and I had to, I had to let her know because we're on the same team. Like this is the enemy got through me through this way. This is how it happened. What are we going to do to make sure this doesn't happen anymore? And so, you know, I'm at the point where, you know, she is my accountability partner because it's not happening in my life. So when it does happen, she's the first person I go to. Um, other than God. And um, like we're, there just has to be that communication. And uh, I'm just grateful that I have a partner that I can feel open with and communicate with. One of the things, mistakes I made when I was dating is I developed a checklist of all the things that I wanted in a wife, return missionary, um, 
uh, never divorced, never sexually active, um, sort of all these things. And I recognized the sort of limitations of that as I dated enough women mm -hmm. that there were women that didn't have those checklists, but actually had the attributes I was looking for. I had made it a checklist to get to the desired attributes instead of going right to the attributes mm -hmm. or right to the person. And so I, this is sort of coming to the idea that I'm not sure it's good to have a checklist requirement that your future spouse has never looked at pornography because mm -hmm. you may be eliminating the very person that you should marry. Back to your point, mm -hmm. Courtney, I mean, Savannah, about <laughs> personal revelation. And so I, I would encourage listeners not, I think it's fine to have general checklists. I do like the, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. marry someone in your faith, marry someone that's committed to the same faith. You are obviously LDS. This is an LDS themed podcast, but I think sometimes those checklists are kind of law of Moses. Mm -hmm. Also remembering a pretty good presentation we had in our ward from somebody talking about pornography. But there was some parts that were uncomfortable. One of the parts that was uncomfortable is sort of this narrative that he felt like if you did all these things as parents, you you would, you know, you know, he was kind of talking to um, that your daughter will never will find somebody that's never looked at pornography. Mm. And I was uncomfortable with that because he shamed. He sort of in a shaming way, he all the people that had messed up would no longer be worthy of his daughter. Your daughter. And I don't think that's a realistic goal. It may be the it may be true. You may be able to find someone that's never looked at pornography, um, but it may not be the realistic goal. And it may keep you from marrying the very person that you want to. If you're 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 having a baby in May, mm -hmm. let's say she's a girl. Mm -hmm. I hope so. You hope so. <laughs> oh, we should take that out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. That's funny. Um, it's pretty, and I think it's fine to have hopes about yeah, what yeah. <laughs> But let's say, you know, she's going to get married someday to some guy. Mm -hmm. um, how, if you, how will you feel if you become aware he's had a pornography problem? That's going way down the road. <laughs> so here's your innocent, beautiful daughter uh -huh. at 23 that's marrying a guy that's had a pornography challenge. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, it's just like, and I, I don't think this is a pessimistic view. I think it's a realistic view. I, I don't really know. I mean, I have a lot of really good friends. Like they're the cream of the crop. And I've had conversations, personal conversations with each one of them. And these are like good guys that you, like you would want your daughter to marry. And every single one of them, to some degree or another, not always to, you know, very serious degrees, but to some degree struggle with pornography at some point in their life. I don't know. I'm not going to say that there aren't guys that haven't, but they're few and far between. And they're just, here's the thing. There's not enough guys that haven't looked at pornography to marry all of the girls, <laughs> you know, like, uh, we're not, we're not going back to the polygamy days right now. So like, that's, it's just not, it's not a realistic goal. And so it's, and like I said, at the end of last podcast, you need to look for someone who is willing to repent. Their past, I'm not going to say it's irrelevant, but it's not as relevant as what their view is and what their hopes are and goals are for the future. And you're looking for someone who wants to be like Jesus, who wants to, you know, take on his characteristics. And that's who you're looking for. You're not looking for someone who has been a certain way necessarily, but someone who wants to become a certain way. 
Really cool. I'm 23 and pregnant, so obviously this is way Pretty, far down the road, right? But I hope of, that by the time my own child gets married, that I will be able to have the mindset of, can this man make covenants with you? Can this man teach your children about the atonement of Jesus Christ? Can this man progress with you through life? Not, is he perfect? Will he always be perfect? Has he always been perfect? But what does he understand about the doctrine of Christ and how to apply it in his own life and in your family? And I think that's the most important thing. You two are a great couple. I think I shared this on the last podcast. Um, It was one of the most tender moments of personal revelation I ever received during my service as a YSA bishop. And one night, like nine or 10 o'clock after a whole evening of interviews with some of the very best men and women in my ward, in the, I just pulled up an empty chair in the middle of the bishop's office, just me and Heavenly Father. <laughs> and I just started to talk to him. And I said, did you know it'd be so hard? Like sort of, did you miscalibrate? <laughs> <laughs> um, you could have dialed down hormones or, and even it's not really hormones per se, it's mm-hmm. just dopamine maybe. Yeah. Or, and and dialed um, and made it less available and sort of like, and then the Heavenly Father spoke to me and he said, I didn't send them here to fail. And he said, there's two things I've done for them is I've flooded the earth with temples. And I've really felt strongly that Mm -hmm. temple attendance is key in this area because you feel the love of Heavenly Father, the Savior, and that's a whole nother subject. Um, but I feel really strongly about the importance of temple attendance. And then he said, wonderful women will come in their lives that will help them. I've always been a little unsettled about that because I've never felt like it's a woman's responsibility to solve their husband's pornography problem or their Mm -hmm. boyfriend. Mm -hmm. But actually hearing the two of you has helped clarify that personal revelation I've received Mm -hmm. and other couples because I I isn't your responsibility and you haven't said it is. Mm -hmm. But what you've done here helps me understand how you're, how in your case, you've seen Hayden for who he is. And in an appropriate way, you've supported him in this way. You haven't created shame. You're not embarrassed about this. Um, you shared his Facebook post. You see him for who he is, and it's brought you together in beautiful ways. And so it's helped me better understand that feeling. Um, just about, I would probably broaden it the role of a spouse then, not just women, because I was thinking mostly about men that night because mm-hmm. I had visited, visited with men. But I think, you know, you know, the role of a spouse to help somebody. Now, episode 190 is Joe and Amy Pearson that had been on this road for 20 years. If you want to listen to that episode, and Joe put this behind them, but it took 20 years of marriage. And Amy talks about the betrayal trauma wow. and how that marriage almost ended because of 20, I think it's 20 years, if I'm remembering. And that podcast has been listened to over 20,000 times, and they're a great couple. And Joe talks about finally what kicked this for him. He just felt God's love for him mm-hmm. in a way he's never felt that before. And he just felt, you, if God can love me this much when I can't love myself, and I've, this has defined me for 20 years, then I can love myself. And it was the key. Mm-hmm. It's part of the 12 steps is to feel that. So mm-hmm. I just love that. But um, I've also felt like, and I've talked about this in the prior podcast, and I wrote an Ensign article in the October Ensign, page 72, is I felt like this is peaking with your generation. Mm -hmm. So even though you've got a child being born, maybe a daughter in May, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I do think that when that daughter or son, um, because your generation is going to get us to the finish line on this. Mm -hmm. 
my generation, we had no access. We're, I'm wired the same way as you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had no access. Mm-hmm. And by the time access became available, I'm at it. You know, I mean, I could still have major slip-ups, true. And men mm-hmm. my age get really trapped in this. So I don't want to say that, you know, let your guard down if you're 60. But mm-hmm. um, I just think your age group is the first age group that's had to deal with this 24-7. Mm-hmm. I didn't have anything close to that when I was mm-hmm. your age. And I think that's one of the reasons you'll become the husbands. You are the husbands, the fathers, the priesthood leaders. And that's one of the things that gives me great hope. Because mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it, it just gives me great hope. Yeah. No, I think uh, it's, it is, it's the war of our generation. And we can pretend that all is well in Zion. And because we go to church, because we, you know, we can fulfill all of our, you can fulfill all of your priesthood responsibilities. You can go to church. You can fulfill, you can go, you do family home evening every single week. You can do all those things. But if you are secretly looking at pornography, you are being led down a road towards spiritual destruction that will eventually catch up to you. And so we need not pretend that all is well in Zion because it's not. And unless we recognize this problem for what it truly is, you know, um, one of the most popular pornography websites um, puts out their statistics every single year, right? And, you know, there, I, I saw this on um, a great nonprofit that kind of fights, helps people become free from pornography is fight the new drug. And they put out these statistics just to show people like what's happening. And um, per capita, Utah is in the top three almost every single year and made the top one of people who view or of like most like pornography views per capita. Now, why per capita, we're also the most, (laughs) we have the most members of the church in Utah as well. And I think the reason why is because of, of shame. I really do. That's, that's just it. We, we talk about it for what the evil that it is because it is it is wrong and it is bad but we have created a culture unknowingly that has allowed it to be hidden and festered and no one wants to come out and talk about it because it's become taboo and do you know what's funny is i was thinking about this i was talking to savannah about this the other night so to access the sort of things that you can access in a bathroom by yourself on your phone a hundred years ago you had to go to a brothel and so there were a few things you had to, you know, find a time to get away from your family or your work or whatever, go to the brothel. You had to be okay with potentially being seen at the brothel. Um, and what usually would probably keep men from doing that is like pride and shame, right? So shame actually kept men away from that because they didn't want to, because like the shame would keep them away, right? But now, you know, then comes the invention of, um, you know, the printing press and, or not, not the printing press, but like, uh, photography. And like, so all of a sudden magazines are out and you can buy a magazine, but still you had to go to a freaking store and you had to buy a magazine. And at least the person that you bought the magazine from is going to know that you bought that magazine. So there's no hiding it. Someone will have to know. Right. And then, you know, comes the, the computer, but you know, usually people only had one computer in their home. So either it had to be yeah, really I late at night. I did have a desktop. It would be hard to get <laughs> Yeah, for sure. You know, they got invented in my late 20s. <laughs> I know. So you had, a, you had a desktop, but, you know, it either had to be really late at night. No one had to be home and like deleting history or whatever. Like who knows what, what capabilities there were then, right? 
And then all of a sudden it's on your phone and you can go anywhere and you can access it and you can, you know, delete your history. I put that in quotations because you can't actually delete your history because what you've done, you've done. But good point. Um, now shame that used to keep men from doing those types of things. And it wasn't necessarily benevolence and that men were just so like upright and just like, Oh, I'm not going to engage in being sexually, um, like, uh, like doing bad things sexually. Um, but it was just that shame that used to keep men from doing those things has now kept men from telling about doing those things. You know is that saying? the reason that our per capita is higher is is just because the, the shame cycle is higher here so. because of the mm-hmm. culture? So it never gets it's fixed. It's not that men are more uh, are less moral here, because mm-hmm. you would think just the opposite if they're part of a faith that teaches yeah. morality, that they For would sure. be more moral. Mm-hmm. But here you've got this dichotomy where porn use, and I've heard that before, is in the top per capita of all the states. Yeah. And so I think you're right. It's this cycle it's a of, shame of shame that then keeps you in this shame and self-loathing. And part of our, I, I think there's a part of that too that sort of keeps you outside of God's love. I've, I've really gone back to this idea that we've created a culture where I sort of fix myself and then I'm worthy of God's love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or even primary songs that I earn God's love or the more obedient I am, the more God loves me. There's some songs like that. I think I've really come to this mm-hmm. doctrinal standpoint that um, I'm always worthy of God's love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And always. nothing can I can do can take me outside of God's love. And even if I'm messing up daily with pornography and I don't feel like God would love me and I don't want to turn to him, I love what you did, I think, mm-hmm. Hayden. That time you messed up during your engagement. Do you remember the order you said? God, Savannah, mm-hmm. Priestly leader. leader. Mm-hmm. And you got right on your knees in a moment where you probably didn't really want to get on your knees because you're just mm-hmm. feeling, why did I do that? Mm-hmm. And I think Satan would have really won that night if he kept you from, Satan won a little bit that night. But I think where Satan won lost is that you talked to Heavenly Father and you talked to Savannah because I think that brought you out of the cycle. Mm-hmm. And there's that scripture, uh, it's in Romans 8, um, 39, or 38 and 39, it says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's, that encompasses everything. There's nothing that can separate us from that. And, you know, the only thing that would make us think that we're separated from it is us turning away from it and not accepting it and allowing the voice in our head that comes from us and also, you know, the voice of the adversary telling us, no, you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you're not worthy. And it's a lie. And until we as a culture in the church recognize that, um, you know, struggling with pornography is not something that you need to hide. And, and be ashamed of. It's something that needs to be fixed, of course, but the, the, there is no other way of fixing this other than coming out and saying, I struggle with it and then asking for help. You will not do this alone. So those of you who are listening, who are like, all right, I'm just going to like listen to podcasts. Okay. I've gone through this guys. <laughs> like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to listen to podcasts. I'm going to read culture, the scriptures. I think and, 
Puritan it, culture says, I'll yes, solve this on my own. I'll solve mm-hmm. it on my own, right? And and like I I applaud you for your desire and your faith. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let you know you cannot do this on your own. So don't even try. Don't try to solve this on your own because not only can't you, but you don't have to. And God doesn't want you to. So reach out, get help, and and use the resources that our Heavenly Father has given all of us in order to, you know, get a handle on this. I just want to offer a word of encouragement because this problem of pornography, it feels very damaging. It feels very hard. It feels very overwhelming. And sometimes it's very long-term and it can be exhausting for the person who struggles and the person who is the support, right? Um, And even in the perfect scenario of, okay, I'll tell my wife, we're going to work through it. I'm going to kick this habit. Um, you know, and then it's over. It's always going to be messy. It's always going to cause hurt. It's always going to, um, it's going to be hard. And our whole message today is not like, do this. It's going to be easy. Um, it's going to be perfect, right? But it's going to be so much worth it down the road. It's, it's going to be so much better because you're working on this together in your relationship or in your marriage. Um, I, just, I just want to offer a word of hope and just tell you that this is possible. Um, it's going to be worth it down the road, but it's going to be hard. And that's okay because the Lord will help you and you'll help each other and your relationship will be stronger because of it. Um, but Heavenly Father will help you through every single step and he will get, bring you peace through every single step. And even though it's hard, it's going to be okay. I love that. And I think it's, I don't think there's a better time to bring a child in the world than the year 2021. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just, the world, we're one day closer to Satan coming and in a lot of ways and the work you're doing professionally, Hayden, you're seeing some of the worst of the worst of that with mm-hmm. OUR and sex trafficking, but I have great hope for the future. I think it's a great year to have a child because I think that parents are better and I think you'll be able to parent your children better than I parented my children with my wife. We did a pretty good job. We have great kids, Mm -hmm. but I just have so much hope for the future. The world is getting worse, but in the way a lot of things are getting better and I think it's a great time and I think you as parents I look at where you are right now and the kind of discussions you can have in a public podcast and privately between you. And you're going to have some parenting paydays because of the foundational principles you understand right now mm-hmm. that will just be great for you. And so I, this little baby being born in your home is lucky to be coming into your home. <laughs> we're excited. Thank you. And I think about this culture we're trying to create in our homes. And this is sort of talking to parents like, okay, I, I want my kids to be able to, if they mess up, be able to talk to me. And I think, I think you have to create a culture where you're just saying kind things about people. So if you want to like proactively create that culture, if you don't, if you just have young kids, and I think, you know, if you could even say kind things about people that have, you know, look at pornography and say, you know, we're aware that, you know, in a come follow me lesson that some people look at pornography, if age appropriate definition mm-hmm. of what that is and, and just factually teach that that's a sin, but you know, we would still love those people and we would still say kind things about them and we would still mm-hmm. want them 
you know, whatever parents are comfortable, because I think, and we're not talking about LGBTQ on this podcast, but I think that's a um, another way just to create a culture of love is to say kind things about LGBTQ people or any other group that's a marginalized group of people or that has a harder road. Because then I think you create a culture within your family mm-hmm. that I, as a kid, mom and dad, just they seem to just be really loving and kind to everybody and very non-judgmental. So mm-hmm. over years, I think they kind of get it that they can open up to mom and sure. dad about mm-hmm. stuff. Any thoughts mm-hmm. that come to your mind on that? Yeah, you're not you're not going to scare your children from pornography. Yeah. <laughs> can I, I'm going to say it one more time. You're not going to scare your children from pornography. It's um, it's not a tactic that's going to work. Fear is it's it is a motivation, but it is inept and it is it's incomplete. And so don't try to scare your kids away from pornography. First off, I mean, when you're, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old, where like that's kind of like the hot spot of when usually kids are introduced to it. Um, you know, you can tell stories about how so-and-so, um, you know, had a pornography problem and their whole family fell apart. Honestly, as a 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old, you don't really understand what that, it, it doesn't, that doesn't hit you. It's completely... It's, it's irrelevant in your world. Your world's so small that like hearing a story about a, another guy who struggled with it and their whole family fell apart, it's so far away from them that it's just, it's not effective. And so story, telling people stories, telling your children stories about the destruction that it causes, I'm not saying it, it, it need not play any role in how you deal with this with your family, but it should not be the central role and it shouldn't be the only role, the only thing that you, that you do. Um, now, obviously, when you're when you're teaching your children, you obviously teach them the consequences of sin. Like that's an important part. Like what sin can lead to. I'm not saying you don't do that, but that is not going to be enough. And so, along with teaching your kids the, about sin and the consequences of it, you need to teach your kids more. Like, let's say that's 20 percent of what you teach your children, 30 percent maybe, and the other 70 or 60 or 80 percent is how to repent. You need to teach your children how to repent and that repentance is positive. Repentance isn't a punishment. It's actually the way away from the punishment because the punishment is a consequence, right? And so the only way to get away from those bad consequences is to change your life, to change who you are and change what you're doing. And all of that, all of it is through the grace of Jesus Christ. I think that's another reason why it's so important to share your own weaknesses with your kids. Because the focus of those conversations doesn't need to be, oh, I've made mistakes, I've sinned. But the point of that conversation is I've made mistakes and here's how I repented. So I get the repentance thing. So I want to help you with your own repentance process, right? I think that's why we need to be open and why, I mean, like you were saying, Richard, we need to be loving and kind to other people. And that way our kids are going to know if I go to mom and dad and I tell them that I did something bad, they're still going to love me and they're still going to be nice to me. Mm -hmm. And this is how they're going to respond because Mm -hmm. I've already seen that's just the kind of people that they are, you know. If you're judgmental towards other people in front of your children by the way that they live their life, if they're living their life in a way that's not right, they're not going to be open with you because Mm -hmm. they're going to think you're going to judge them. That's that's really smart, both of you. (laughs) 
Um, we're on the front end of this political election. You'll, this mm-hmm. podcast will probably come out after the November 3rd election, but that's just another area where I think we as families can create a tone that creates a feeling. So mm-hmm. all, all the listeners, all of us have a feeling about who we're going to vote for and who we shouldn't vote for. But if I think if you can keep that fact based on who you're voting for without demonizing the other candidate or sort of the fear-based narratives mm-hmm. that sometimes creep into these elections, and you just get so much fear about the other side. Common enemy intimacy is where we just connect because we hate the same people. Mm-hmm. And we bond sort of over hating the same people. <laughs> that's not a good thing. And that's not a good thing. It creates real connection. This is a Brene Brown thing I learned. It does mm-hmm. create real connection. But if it's just because we creating connection because we share common values and have so, common goals is a great thing. Mm-hmm. But if that connection then bleeds into we have a villain like another someone in another political party that that to me adds to my anxiety and stress <laughs> mm-hmm. but i think back coming back to this culture we're trying to create as parents i think that can also telegraph to the kids that there's a lot of there's just you know we're not saying kind things about other human beings and maybe that's the way mom and dad respond mm-hmm. to me Mm-hmm. If I open up with something that might be different than them, in this case, obviously mm-hmm. it's not pol- political if it's pornography usage mm-hmm. or just sin usage, but it's just a, a thought for parents right now and all of us as we're in the middle of a political season. There is this key thing that both of you understand, and particularly Hayden, because he's had to use the atonement more, but it's the understanding of the atonement. Mm-hmm. You know, you've said some really wonderful things about the atonement and that it's, it's looking forward with hope. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think to understand the atonement, you have to walk on that road. Mm-hmm. Um, we can teach about the atonement. We can read it in scriptures, but until we take advantage of it in our own life, mm-hmm. I think that's when it becomes real. Mm-hmm. I think the savior, I've talked about this for loves it when we take advantage of the atonement, he has already paid the price. So if you're in the middle of pornography and think repenting then adds to the savior's burden or his cross gets heavier, that's not true. Mm-hmm. I just don't believe that. He has paid the price for all of our mess-ups. Mm-hmm. And Satan wants us to just not use the power of the atonement to have this beautiful hope that Hayden's teaching, looking forward, and he wants to keep us in this bad spot. Satan loves to forgive. It's his greatest gift. Mm-hmm. So he loves it when people turn to him. And so that's the beautiful part of our restored gospel, the beautiful part of the atonement. So take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Um, any more thoughts before we close from either of you? I just think that... And tell us about your podcast. Yeah, of course. So, you know, as I was saying earlier, I personally didn't realize that this was such a uh, still a taboo topic and that the disparity was so big just because in my life it has not become... One, but with all the people reaching out, we, we, we knew that this needed to be a topic that needed to be focused on specifically. So we started a podcast called I Stand at the Door. And, you know, that's based on the, the scripture in Revelations where it talks about how Christ stands at the door. And if you, we let him in, he will come in and he will uh, sup with us is what it says. And what that is, is I, I, I alluded to earlier that I think that the biggest reason why we don't like let Christ into our lives is because we have a messy house and we want to like straighten up before. And so pretty much the purpose of the podcast is to teach us that the reason why Christ showed up to the door is to clean our house and that there's no 
there's no point in trying to solve the issue of any sin on our own. And so we deal specifically with pornography and we want to share specific tools, um, not only that I've learned, but other people have learned to help um, brothers and sisters who are struggling with this problem to be able to get a handle on it. Um, you know, it's both me and my wife. And so uh, we get the perspective of the spouse and we get the perspective of the person that's struggling with it. And so I think it it's an awesome opportunity for those who who have this as a part of their life. And we keep the episode short, less than 30 minutes. We never um, do that on this yeah. podcast. <laughs> We've never yeah, been good people at still short listening. podcasts. I, well, um, so we're just keeping them short because we want people to be able to listen to them and chew on them and think about them for the week and apply them incrementally in their lives um, in order to get true freedom. And uh, we, we both have had experiences. I've experienced the atonement when it comes to pornography, but Savannah, she's had experiences with atonement on her own and she understands it in her own life. She's made changes in her life that have uh, allowed her to become more Christ-like. And so uh, we both, and I'm, I'm going to speak for myself, that I know that it is through Jesus Christ that we can you know, be saved. And what are we being saved from? in a lot of ways from ourselves, <laughs> we're being saved from our own bad habits, our own sins. And I'm so grateful for that. And I know that that's true. I'll just add my testimony to um, the purpose of our podcast, this podcast, everything that we talk about um, in trying to become better than we are. None of it's possible without the Savior. And when we keep him as the focus of our repentance, the focus of our change, the focus of our lives, um, we will be able to be better than we are. And we will have stronger relationships. We will have peace. Um, I have experienced that in my life. And I know that it's through Jesus Christ that um, I have the hope of becoming better than I am. I stand at the door. I encourage everybody to check out that podcast. Um, listen to those episodes. I think it's great you started a podcast. When I hear someone else starts a mm -hmm. podcast, that makes me happy. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to do everything to, I can to use this platform to connect people. Uh, so I encourage you to check out I Stand at the Door um, with Hayden and Savannah. I just, you know, more thoughts come to my mind, listeners. You've heard me talk about this concept of a pink Mormon. I guess we call it a pink Latter-day Saint. It's Michael Wilcox, an institute teacher, taught me this concept. And we, we, sometimes we have this kind of thinking, though our sins be a scarlet, we, we think, well, with a lot of repenting on a lot of my part and a lot of forgiveness on the Lord's part, he can get me from red to a light shade of pink, but I'm never white. And they take pink Mormon thinking, they say, well, because I've messed up with pornography, I, she will, I'll never be the same. I'll never be worthy of that woman or that guy. Or we sometimes, the, the non-sinner has pink Mormon thinking where we'll think, well, because in this case, Hayden's messed up with pornography, he's different from the guys that never messed up that. And I think that is underselling the atonement on both sides is when we look at somebody or, and I think we do this ourselves, we think, I will never be the kind of husband that I could have been if I never looked at pornography. I will never be the kind of priesthood leader, the kind of father, because I messed up, whatever the mess up is. And I just think that is underselling the power of the atonement. It's pink Mormon thinking. It's, the, it's Satan coming into your mind, 
predetermining your future because of your past. And Hayden's so powerful about talking about the future in positive ways with the atonement. Don't be a pink Mormon. I'm going to let Hayden see if he's got any thoughts on that. And I love Amy Pearson, who talked in this episode 190, um, who has betrayal trauma of a husband. And they were both on the podcast together. Great. They have a great marriage. But she t- talks about, she coined a phrase for me that I may have used, my worth is set, everything else is experience. And that was really wonderful understanding of who she is as a daughter of God, that her worth is set. Mm-hmm. And this brutal experience um, didn't change her worth. Mm-hmm. And it was a really wonderful way to look at that. But I'll turn it back to you if you have any final yeah. thoughts no, on I, pink Mormon No, thinking. I love that. So <clears throat> first off, you said something in there. It's like, um, because I looked at this or because I had this struggle, I'll never be the same. And you're right. You're going to be better. And there's this story. Um, it's Jesus's first miracle that he performs in the New Testament. And it's where he turns the water to wine. Now, it's interesting because in that story, they're very detailed. So when I read the scriptures, whenever there's a detail, I never think that it's just there for some reason. I, I think everything in the scriptures, the details there that seem kind of irrelevant are relevant in some way. And it's our job to figure them out. So when um, Jesus is at this wedding, he asks them to use the, to fill up the pots that are used for the ritual washing um, of the Jews, right? Now, for those who don't understand, who don't know kind of the history between behind ritual washing is before Jews would enter the temple, before they'd eat a meal, before they'd enter people's houses for like a wedding ceremony, they would wash their hands in these and they would, they'd get a cup and they'd pour it over their hands and, and they'd do it three times. And what this did was it symbolically cleansed them of their sins, right? And so what happened was that these, these pots that were used for the ritual washing of the Jews symbolically were to hold the sins of all present at the wedding. And so what Jesus does is he takes these pots and he turns them to wine. And he gives them to the guests of the wedding. And it is the, he turns this water that symbolically, that was in these pots that symbolically held the sins of all present and it nourished them. And it ended up being the best wine of the night. Now, we know that throughout the New Testament that the, the parable of the wedding and the wedding feast is very common. And the wedding represents the celestial kingdom. It re- represents being with God. And so I'm here to submit the idea that it is turning your sins over to Christ that actually nourishes you. And it is the, it is the catalyst to you becoming the type of person that can endure the presence of God. And so, but here's the thing is if you don't give the water, so Jesus isn't going to turn. He didn't ask for empty, empty um, pots, right? He's not going to turn nothing into something, but he can turn something that is into something that it is not. So if you just keep your dirty water, you can keep your dirty water and it's just going to stay dirty water. But if you bring your dirty water to the savior, he will turn it to wine. And that wine will be that which will nourish you. And so my faith-destroying sin 
has now turned into faith-promoting experience that propels me forward into becoming more like God and more like the Savior. So yes, you will never be the same after you've committed sins. But if you bring it to the Savior, you will become infinitely better than you were before. That doesn't mean that you should go out there and sin and then and have that mindset because it's not sincere. All of this has to be sincere. But if you just let sin be sin, then yes, you're still not going to be the same as you were before. But if you take that sin to the Savior's feet, you will become more like him. You will become better and a better Christian, a better husband, a better father, better mother, better wife. And that is the true power of the Savior. I love that. Savannah and Hayden, you're great. And those of you that are women working on porn, I did get a few messages from you after that first podcast, and there's more shame perhaps around women working on porn than men. Um, and I hope we can improve that in the sense that um, the things that Hayden's sharing are helpful to you if you're a woman working on porn. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just equal to Hayden. You've got the same challenge that Hayden. I hope we don't look at you as any different, just Mm -hmm. one of Heavenly Father's daughters who, you know, for the same reasons that Hayden and others got on connected to porn you have. So don't look at yourself as worse or more shame or um, just look at you as the same daughter of God that's got a challenge going on. And I hope we can maybe have more stories of women on the podcast that are working through this and solving it to give hope to other women. Um, But um, please connect with Hayden and Savannah's podcast. I stand at the door. We'll probably put Hayden's email in this podcast description also, so you can reach out to him if you want to. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. 